Hello, you're welcome to If I Were the Minister for Education from OnShot.net. Back to school. The good, the bad, and the flat-out busy. Part 2. I remember for about two months, the public loved teachers. And during lockdown, there were memes of parents pleading on camera to double, no treble, no quadruple our wages. And there were videos of parents apologising for all the times they moaned about teachers' holidays and short working days. And parents on YouTube mused on how it was even possible for a teacher to manage 30 children in a classroom when it was proving impossible for them to look after their own one child or so. And then Joe McHugh, the Minister for Education, got his mates together to plan the reopening of schools, made a total balls of it, and then everyone was back to normal, blaming teachers for not wanting to go back to work, even though it was unsafe conditions. Welcome to part two of Back to School, the good, the bad, and the flat out busy. Last week, I listed some of the people who I felt deserved praise during lockdown and for for doing whatever they could to make schools as safe as possible, despite the fact that we all know it's going to end in tears. And after publishing the episode, I asked people on social media who their heroes were. And most people um, didn't choose uh, most of the people that I chose. Now, some of them did choose principals, caretakers and other staff, but most of them actually chose their families. And to be honest with you, if there were any heroes in this, I mean, suppose what you can call it, a mess, it is our families that deserve that label. And um, it was, yeah, it, it, for me, it was it was kind of emotional to see colleagues post up little anecdotes um, about how their families had supported them while they spent day after day in school. And I suppose one of my favourite quotes was uh, from, uh, I, I hope I'm pronouncing her name correctly, Rochelle Long, who posted a picture of her daughters um, on their first day back to school, who basically said to her when they were going back, Mom, this is great. We're actually going to see you so much more now. We're in school all day too. I also got a bit of stick for asking the question, actually, the way I did. Um, and some people were very unhappy with me claiming, you know, nobody was a hero getting children back to school because they believe it was irresponsible for us to be going back to school in the first place. And it was a fair point um, now among some frankly very bizarre exchanges I must say including uh, some anonymous person um, with a rather Austin Powers-esque rant mixing up his punctuation rebranding this is a sex advice podcast <laughs> oh behave uh, but um, anyway apart from all that um, you know I think I think it's fair to say and anyone who's listened to this podcast would realize that I'm under absolutely no illusion that the plan for reopening schools is not a good plan I know that you know that. We all know that. And if I were the Minister for Education, and some of you might never have heard an episode where I actually go on about what I would do if I were the Minister for Education. It's been so long since I've actually done a normal episode of it. But anyway, if I were the Minister for Education, I certainly wouldn't have opened the schools in the manner that they were. I already identified what needed to be done to open schools a good number of weeks ago, and I haven't really changed my mind much since. However, I'm not the Minister for Education, as I never will be, and this meant that I and my 4,000 principal colleagues, along with over 150,000 staff working in schools, had to reopen the school buildings, whether we liked it or not, and try to make 
as safe as possible we had to just try our best it wasn't as if we had any choice in the matter and um, despite what some people think about the power of a principal uh, we still had to go in and open our schools uh, whether we liked it or not and to be honest this is where the focus will be for part two of this episode where i actually look at the bad guys and gals who put us in the position of reopening the schools in the way they have now unlike the previous episode where i name checked individuals i'm not going to do the same for this part um and you know i i, I don't think it's fair to you know kind of say uh, you know the ceo or the head person of any organization um you know is to blame for it i mean effectively from what i can say see they're simply give the message from their organization i i i i'm looking at lots of organizations these days and the person who's the, the ceo or the secretary general or whoever it might be um i don't really think it really has the power to say anything they're basically giving the message for the organization that they're working for and uh, for example there's absolutely no difference um between the language that's being used right now by norma foley today and the language that was used by joe McHugh when he was uh, the minister for education and it's very clear to me anyway that they just don't have any influence and they're merely mouthpiece they're basically a mouthpiece for the people inside the department of, of education who are actually making the decisions in conjunction with other organizations who are also generally led by their respective mouthpieces so i mean obviously there are exceptions to this rule for example the into is made up of a number of layers and, and my ire is kind of towards the cec rep levels and above rather than the whole organization uh because the grassroots um I mean it's it's very clear obviously that the grassroots believe one thing and the upper echelons of the INTO believe other things because that's basically how things have been going uh, for the last while but anyway uh, not 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 important for this episode but I will do a final disclaimer before I get into it and yes I hear the Monty Python fans out there shouting get on with it uh, nothing I say in this podcast is ever personal um, I always try and play the ball and not the man as they say um, in all my podcast episodes but given this is a fairly emotive topic I just feel I should state it again so without further ado um, you can kind of think of this let's say as the back to school raspberry awards i think there isn't the uh, film awards for the worst film ever is, is the raspberry award uh this is our back to school raspberry award but unlike most awards i'm going to start with the biggest winner of all and the biggest winner is the worst performance during a global pandemic in supporting schools so i have my um envelope here and um and here we go and the winner is um i don't know if you can do a drum roll on a microphone um that's the best you're going to get for a drum roll and the winner is well i, I, I to be honest with you <laughs> i am um, i asked just before i i, I recorded this uh, episode uh, on my twitter and facebook page for uh, unshot.net who did they think it was going to be <laughs> and interestingly enough 90 percent of the answers uh, were exactly correct it is the ncse the national council for special education yes all of all the agencies involved in education i think the ncse have been shocking and i feel it's only fair um, rather than just giving them the award without an explanation is to give them uh, give uh, a number of their their worst bits you know the way in a film they have this this, this montage of of of, of the um you know before when they're giving the award well here is my montage of the ncse and it and i think i need to explain exactly why the ncse deserved this award more than anyone else and I'm going to do that in full detail in this uh, in this particular part. Since March, uh, when in the midst of a global pandemic, they have managed to stand over cuts, 
further cuts, swathing cuts, I'm going to say, and that's a bit of a cliche, swathing cuts and by stealth to children with additional needs. And while they've been doing this for over a decade now, they used the pandemic to further this agenda, in my opinion. And to me, the most scandalous one of these was basically introducing the front-loading model of SNAs to the education system despite huge objections from the entire education sector. And for those of you who aren't familiar with this whole thing, to and just to summarise here, the NCSE identified that special education was becoming too expensive. And this is before the pandemic, okay? So, and uh, you might have remembered in the new newspapers they were going on about, you know, for example, the special uh, bus service is costing 100, oh, was it 100 million euro or 150 million euro. And they needed to do something about it. And they were talking about the full inclusion model. And the first step really in this was uh, was called the front loading model. Um, and uh, basically they... Uh, they were going to introduce this new model of funding SNAs similarly to how they fund the SET allocation. Now, for those of you who don't know what the SET allocation is, uh, uh, Education Ireland is alphabet soup, uh, basically. Um, that basically schools are awarded a certain number of additional hours to hire support teachers um, based on the, num you know, the, the needs that they calculated. Now, the set model, as we know, um, effectively made cuts to teaching children with additional needs when it was introduced. So basically, um, you the, the formula they used basically was to try and give a fair and equitable um, system for children with additional needs. But in reality, it, it, it sort of cut um, what was already there. Um, and uh, I think there was a National Principals Forum survey and 89% of schools stated that uh, they were worse off um, with the set allocation that they were given uh, than, than they would have been using the older model. But anyway, um, the uh, it, it basically made uh, cuts, particularly in developing schools. Um, for those of you who um, are in developing schools, you'll know this. Uh, and an example of this was there was a study of 18 schools in Cork uh, and it revealed that developing schools in the area are not receiving anywhere near the hours they should be getting in comparison to schools that were not developing um, at the time. And in my own case, uh, sorry, and, and I suppose just to explain this a little further, in 2017, the first lot of allocations were given and these were reviewed two years later um, in 2019. And um, basically in that space, um, schools that had been developing, you know, should have had more hours than they did but they didn't. So for example, in my case, um, I should have 30 hours per week more than I actually do based on the original formula they used uh, back in 2015 or 2017. Anyway, there's hundreds of similar stories um, about this and there's actually no mechanism to appeal them either. I mean, I could go and appeal the fact that I should have 30 extra hours per week uh, based on, on the uh, original formula because believe it or not, the NCSE have actually invented an an incredibly arbitrary system that means that zero schools could actually be successful in their application i mean almost zero the only way a school could be successful in an application to the ncse is if they had if they were um uh, had a very low base in the first place and something like a direct provision center open beside them and they had a number of children coming uh, coming to them from the center or you know or a you know a huge change so basically it went without so basically it went without saying that a similar allocation model for snas isn't going to go down wasn't and didn't go down well with the education system and so much so that even the INTO and the IPPN were calling for drastic measures here you know to 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 stop this from happening in fact they went so far as to say okay okay guys ncse could you just um, pause this front-loading model for a year 
yeah I mean it's like didn't actually say could you scrap it completely which is what they should have said actually I, I just I don't know I get the two of them that they're, they're they're gas really anyway they didn't actually call for it to be scrapped you know anyway I sometimes forget how weak they are anyway the pandemic hit in March um as we all know because uh this is uh this has been uh, basically our lives for the last few months and guess what the department of education basically said oh um the uh the NCSE don't have time to do the allocations uh, in the in the current way that we were trying to do. Uh, so that basically the for SNAs they'll have to come up with a different system for this year. And do you know, funnily enough, do you know what their different system was? Oh yeah, I bet you can't guess. It was the front loading model, basically. So they, you know, and do you know what the union did after that? Well, you know. As, as you very well know from listening to this podcast and from being a member of the INTO, naturally they stood strong and there were fists banged on tables and there were shouts from the Department of Education that you could hear all the way down in Kerry, I would imagine. And they told the NCT, NCSE where to go with their damn front-loading model. No, of course they didn't. They told the member it wasn't actually the front-loading model at all, at all. And uh, don't be silly, sure, it looks like the front-loading model, but it isn't really the front-loading model. And uh, sure, don't be worrying at all, at all, at all about that. But anyway, and there's nothing we can do about it anyway, because, you know, look, there's a pandemic there. And uh, sure, look, uh, we'll look forward to closely working with the NCSE and other stakeholders and blah, blah, blah. So basically, stealth cut number one, using the pandemic to do it, was a front-loading SNA model. And if that was all there was, I'd still give them the award for the worst performance. But no, no, they kept going. Before the pandemic, it was becoming, as, as most people know, it was becoming harder and harder for schools and families to get extra supports from, uh, from an SNA if the school needed them. Now, I often tell the story of when I started as a principal that if I needed an SNA, I'd ring my CNO and she'd pop over and we'd have a chat and a decision would be made by her within a few days. And if we fast forward um, a decade, I now have to fill about two cardboard boxes full of reams of evidence as to why my current allocation is not enough for the children in my school. And not only that, I have to wait for the bones of a term to even get to a point of being allowed to apply because I have to prove a child who would have received full support through Ames in preschool, for example, is unable, or in a previous school would have had full access to an SNA, is unable to cope with the ever-decreasing reasons for being allowed to have access to an SNA. And the last year or so, the NCSE have added another layer to the process that the CINO doesn't even have any uh, any uh, any call in the decision anymore. The CINO can come in, they can make, can make a, rec- a recommendation, but some manager comes in, takes the recommendation from the CINO, and basically kicks the can down the road for another, for another couple of weeks, another couple of months sometimes looking for anything within the boxes that I've given to them of full of uh, things to stop granting SNA access before basically making up some sort of decision and usually the decision is along the f- is either no further allocation or a fraction of what you've actually applied for or a fraction of what this uh, of the CNO actually recommended so when the NCSE decided to introduce their front loading model basically in the middle of this pandemic they said they'd allow schools to appeal um the the, the, the basically the appeal the decision if they felt they needed more support so for, for example if you if we were given two SNAs and we felt we needed more because we knew it was coming to us um, in, in terms of uh, new children you could appeal the decision on that basis and you know look, you can get the rest you, you can guess the rest sure barely no one got got, got anything you know if, uh, 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 
I haven't met I haven't I haven't heard of a school that did well out of it let's say put it that way so that's stealth cut number two and we haven't even got it gotten into how they reacted to the reopening of the schools um, and we've already got two uh, areas where they have failed children with additional needs and when I when I well, I suppose I was thinking about the reopening of school guidelines and what, what, what would be the best word to sum up the reaction to the re- reopening of school guidelines well the one best one I could think of was nothing basically I mean, they did absolutely nothing to help children with additional needs when the reopening of schools plan came out. Nothing. Any excuse that they might have had to my accusations above that they couldn't do anything um, about anything due to the budgets and so on were basically torn apart by their total inaction after the guidelines came out. And looking at this set allocation, for example, we know and they know that bubbles in schools aren't allowed to mix. We know these things. I mean, everyone's known this. I mean, we've known this since late may i mean despite how terrible the department of education guidelines were they 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 did i suppose let us know that bubbles were coming <laughs> uh, or uh, or classes as we know them um but you're not allowed mixed teachers and you're trying to separate people um and, and to reduce risk and given the allocation of the school there are not enough set allocation teachers to cover every bubble so for example if you have a 16 classroom school it's very likely with the set allocation you've something around 10 set teachers which means you're you've six classes that wouldn't be able to have a set teacher and this means that every school has to make a choice between not giving support to certain classes or to have no choice but to mix bubbles with the support uh with a support teacher now the ncse could easily easily have fought even for one extra support teacher to be given per baseline number of pupils it it would have been a gesture if nothing else i mean for example for every 200 pupils, an extra teacher could have been hired to cover additional needs. I mean, that's me being very frugal here. That's one teacher extra per for, for eight classes. I mean, I think that's pretty frugal. Uh, I mean, even now that I've, I mean, I wrote that a few a couple of days ago before I recorded this. I, I, I think I was being extremely frugal there. But they didn't. And, and there's more. The NCSE know full well that the set team in primary schools are basically going to be covering breaks for teachers who are going to have to be on yard more often. And we know that uh, because, again, the Department of Education, for some reason, f- uh, funded extra supervision for, uh, for secondary schools, but they have not funded any supervision, extra supervision, look, any supervision. I was going to say extra, but there wasn't any, any, any to begin with in primary schools. Basically, set teachers have to cover breaks for teachers because you know lo and behold teachers do need breaks after they after the after they do after they do um extra work they can't actually go in from nine o'clock and work until half past two without taking a break at all i mean it's 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 actually against the law as well but anyway they need to be covered and who else is going to cover them but some another teacher who's usually on the set team and they know the set team are going to be covering days as well that aren't covered by a substitute because classes aren't allowed to be split and they know that when a substitute can't be found it will be a support teacher covering the classes and they know that when the set team now have to teach children who are isolating at home due to being very high risk with no extra allocation and you know what they didn't say a word that's a disgrace in my opinion and even if they had figured out some sort of way that even teachers in special classes for autism could have got something, um, you know, to to help them out. Because again, these teachers also need a break uh, during the day. Um, uh, it might have been a ge- just a gesture. I mean, they didn't even give a gesture. Nothing. It's the only word I can sum up for the reaction. And similarly, because they've cut SNA access so much over the last decade, um, 
that there are SNAs. I mean, as we all know, there is SNAs being split between several children, all claiming access um, in these pandemic times. And this is impossible, um, to, you know, for to, to do. I mean, how can an SNA go into one bubble and then go to another bubble um, and then go to the other bubble um, and, and, and not for that to be OK and not risky? Um, I mean, surely there could have been uh, temporary SNAs given to pro rata to schools in some way or another. One extra SNA per, school, per certain number of classes again. And of course there wasn't. You know, could they not have fought for that? For example, look at children with significant care needs already not receiving proper access. In many cases, are just receiving no access because it's actually impossible to do without tearing apart the concept of bubbles. It's a stealth cut after stealth cut. And I mean, look at uh, children trying to integrate from um, special classes. I, I, I may talk about this again. You, in, a, in a special class, the six children there are all probably in different classes. 90, 99% of cases, none of them are all in the same year group. You've got, uh, and in fact, they might not all be in three uh, year groups. There could be five year groups in it or more. I mean, I don't know how many year groups. And again, how are they going to split themselves into these bubbles? It just, it doesn't make sense. Um, I, I might go on about that a little bit later because uh, I, I, I think it's a, it's an important one. So surely that, but I mean, surely that's that's all I have to say on the NCSE. I, I can move on, can't I? Surely they haven't done anything else. Did, did, did I hear someone say South, South Dublin and special classes for children with autism? Yeah, yeah, I did, yes. The NCSE managed to completely fail families of children with autism in South Dublin. And then they had the neck to try and blame the schools themselves for their own failure. Basically, the NCSE had known for a few years that there's a shortage of places in South Dublin for children with autism, and they faffed around and faffed and faffed and faffed around, hoping the issue would go away, which it didn't, of course. And despite a number of schools actually offering to open classes, they didn't basically, you know, uh, allow it to happen. And then they basically turned on the schools and tried to shame them in the media by publishing a list, by publishing all the responses to be bullied into opening classes despite having no um, no space. Now I did a full episode on this a couple of months uh, months ago, and it's 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 worth. I, well, I mean, I'm I'm not being cocky saying it's worth listening to just to hear the full story around it. Um, I, it's just shocking stuff. Shocking, shocking stuff. Surely there couldn't be more about the NCSE. They, they, they surely couldn't have sunk any lower. Well, in the grand scheme of things, this might not be the worst thing they have or haven't done. But, decide, but this, despite the fact that we're well into the first term, the NCSE have failed to produce a single guideline to schools around all of the issues I mentioned above. And I, I mentioned this earlier, so I'd come back to it. How do schools with special classes work around integration? Right now, there is no guidance on this. We are three weeks in some cases into in, in schools, at least two weeks into school, and there hasn't been a single word on it. We have nothing at all on set teams working between bubbles. Any advice from the NCSE there? We have nothing on SNAs working with children in different bubbles. We have no advice on dealing with serious behaviours. We have nothing in the way of dealing with children on a one-to-one -one basis. I could go on and on about the questions that are being asked and have been asked since, since late May and there hasn't been an answer. No advice. There are children already two weeks into the school term and, the, and schools are basically unable to make decisions around integration or inclusion 
or uh, around uh, and then SNAs and set teams are left kind of taking risks about mixing in bubbles and things like that because the NCSE have failed to give any advice to anyone and they'll probably give it I don't know sometime in October or something you know when when schools have just established routines because they've given up on them look ultimately all I know is that if you are a parent of a child with any form of additional needs whether it's just a small need like like needing a bit of a catch-up uh, in school and you don't need any kind of you know there's no diagnosis or anything like that but just a bit of a catch-up or whether your child requires full one-on-one -on -one care support throughout the day your child in pandemic times because of the NCSE is going to be worse off now imagine I have taken 25 minutes focusing on one organization and I haven't gotten to anyone else yet so in some ways it feels right dedicating this entire episode of the bad to the NCSE because I don't actually think any of the other organizations that I was going to mention in the bad part of this episode were actually a hundred percent bad no one else made things worse for children they maybe didn't make things better but it wouldn't be fair to say there wasn't one thing positive about any other organization so I'm going to dedicate a third part and I'm going to and these are the people who may not have made things better uh, but they certainly didn't make things absolutely worse um, and I'm going to call them the flat out busy the organizations and agents that either worked really really hard but failed in the efforts or the ones that just simply disappeared which is what I better do now until next week I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode in insofar as you could because um, I guess it wasn't the most <laughs> I suppose it was definitely the opposite of last week's episode which was uh, the good um, and um, but you know I, I, I guess sometimes you have to call things out as you see them it is only my opinion of course I'm sure uh, there are people here who would completely disagree with me on this um, if you have enjoyed the episode though um, please uh, tune in again next week for the final part which is the flat out busy um, if you'd like to listen to any of my previous podcasts they can be found uh, on itunes spotify and any other podcasting app search, search just by searching for on shaw's podcast or if i were the minister for education on shaw.net um, i'd really really appreciate you subscribing to the podcast so each new episode will land into your uh, inbox immediately after its release and please also feel free to review the podcast so others can find it more easily please leave a nice review if you can uh, thanks so much uh, for listening again and we will catch you next week week uh, when I reveal the flat out busy. Thanks for listening. Take care. Bye bye.